Bible Interact is a group of Bible scholars and biblical archaeologists who promote the Hebraic nature of Scripture and view the two Testaments as one unified message. They explain how they use a first-century approach to searching the Scriptures, and they share their methods and discoveries for discussion and dialogue. They invite your comments and participation on BibleInteract.tv, where you can also find more teachings, self-study quizzes, webinars, and interviews. Shalom! I am Dr. Ann Davis with Bible Interact. Today I'm going to share with you something I think you're going to find is, is fun. I certainly have fun with it. Because we're going to be talking about giants. <laughs> we first meet the giants in Genesis chapter 6, verse 4, where they are called the Nephilim. And we know that God caused a flood to destroy these giants, but some survived. And we can see these giants cropping up in Scripture. They continue to appear, and they become the symbolic theme of a spiritual battle. Now, many of you are curious about what's going to happen in the future. And this uh, study will set you on the path, perhaps, to to learn a little bit more about what's going to happen in the future and your role in what's going to happen in the future. So we're going to start, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis 6-4. If you don't have your Bibles, don't worry, I'll read it to you. It's a, let me just read the verse. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward. When the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were of old men of renown. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to use these um, uh, ancient methods of searching the scriptures that I have worked so hard to reconstruct. You can go to our website, uh, BibleInteract.com, and that's our education site, and it will give you information about how you can learn about these these ancient methods of Bible study. I'm going to be use them, using them in the study, and I'll explain as I go. The sages believed that the first time a word was used, God marked it as significant. But what we have to do first is we have to identify key words. Let me go back into this passage again. I'm going to read it one more time, and there's going to be more than one key word in here, or key phrase. So let me read it again. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old men of renown. All right. I want to give you some... uh, some um, key words here. Um, A translation is when you go from the original Hebrew into another language like English. A definition gives the meaning of a word, however, typically definitions are um, an English explanation of very often an English word, which is the translation of the translated word. Occasionally you'll have the original word and it'll give a definition in English. And so I tell my students, no translations, no definitions. Now what do we do? All right, let me give you two more key words here. An interlinear Bible has on one line the original text. Now we're dealing with Hebrew here, so the original Hebrew text. And then either over or below it, it will give the English translation. So you can take the English word, let's say we take sons of God, 
which I think is a key phrase, or mighty men, which I think is a key phrase, or men of renown, which I think is important. So you can take each one of those phrases and identify the original Hebrew that has been translated into English with those English words. That's an interlinear, and an interlinear is important for you Uh, By the way, you have to memorize the Hebrew alphabet, and if you go to BibleInteract.com, we make it very easy for you to learn the the Hebrew alphabet there. That's one page on our website that is visited uh, most frequently because people are are in there. They're in there learning the the Hebrew alphabet so they can work with Hebrew words, not English definitions. So an interlinear will give you the Hebrew, the verse in Hebrew, and then above or below that will be the the translation, so you can connect from, you start with the English and you can, can see what the original Hebrew word was. Now the next word you need to understand is a concordance. If you can't use a definition to understand what the word means, what can you use? You can use a concordance. A concordance lists every verse where the original Hebrew word appears, and you have to read that word in, in its context in the verse, and from that, and, and you can do it in English, and from that you'll get a sense of how the word is used, and you'll derive your own understanding of the meaning of the word, not relying on an English definition. So we've got three key phrases here. Let's start with men of renown, because you want to kind of dismiss it here. It's, um, it, it's literally men of a name. In the ancient world, your name was important. And, you know, if you were illegitimate, you did not have a name, and and you were really cast out of society. But your name identified you with with your clan or with your tribe, and if your clan was a powerful one, then your name identified you as a powerful person. So the men of a name simply means that these Nephilim, who are giants, um, were very important. They had a name that was very important. Now, as we continue this study, you're going to see that that name is Satan, that they actually belong to Satan. So the men of renown, the men of name, are the men who have the name of Satan. That's really what it means. Now, I want to go first into the mighty, uh, let's see, mighty men. Uh, no, let's do this first. Let's take a look at who are the Nephilim. We have to identify the Nephilim. I've told you they're giants, but don't listen to what an, a, anybody is telling you. You've got to learn how to do this yourself in the Bible. And and that way you can check me, you can check any speaker, and you can also go in and do this for yourself. So what we do is we use a concordance to see where else Nephilim, the word Nephilim, is used, and it's going to explain it to us. Scripture is going to interpret itself. It's going to explain it to us. We don't need an English definition. We don't need somebody else to tell us. We can use that concordance, see where Nephilim is used. Now, it's used in connection with the children of Israel who had been rescued by God from bondage in Egypt. That's the Exodus. And God parted the Red Sea and brought them into a wilderness. When they were in the wilderness, they knew that they were supposed to go in and and occupy the promised land, God's land, the promised land. And in order to do that, they had to defeat the enemy. So Moses sent in 12 spies, and the spies came back, and they were very frightened because this is what they saw. Now, I'm, I'm reading here from, I think it's in Numbers. 
there, uh, there also we saw the Nephilim. So there's our word Nephilim, and we identified this verse from our concordance. And then in parenthesis, the sons of Anak are part of the Nephilim. There are, are several names for these giants, and you'll you'll be able to see these names in, in Scripture when you're using your concordance. And then it continues, And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. We were like grasshoppers to them. In other words, they were giants. They were huge. And these spies felt like grasshoppers. And, and so that's identifying these Nephilim as very, 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 very large. Now, um, okay, I want to do next the sons of God. I find this very interesting because the Nephilim are identified as sons of God. We think of sons of God as us. (laughs) We're sons of God. Those of us with faith in Yeshua, we're sons of God. That's what we are. So what you have to do is you have to go into your concordance and identify where the term sons of God is used in the Hebrew scriptures. All right? Very, very, very interesting. It's found in four places. We've already read in, in Genesis um, the the um, uh, the Nephilim were sons of God. Now, uh, Job actually uses sons of God in two places. And uh, let's see, in one of them, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. That's yud heh vav heh, Adonai, I say Adonai, and Satan also came among them. What we have are spiritual beings. They're not in human form. They they presented themselves before before Adonai, before the God of the heavens and the earth. They presented themselves, so they have to be spiritual beings. And that's what they are. Now, again in Job, we get talking about the foundations of the earth and God is speaking. Who sets its measurements? You know, I set its measurements, (laughs) since you know. Or who stretched the line on it to to measure it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So in this passage, we also have spiritual beings. Now, um, the only other place in the Hebrew scriptures where the term sons of God appears is in Psalm 29. And I'm reading here verses 1 and 2. Give to the Lord, O sons of the mighty. Now, it's translated mighty into English, but the, the, the Hebrew is uh, B'nai Eli. Eli is my God. Okay, and B'nai are sons, sons of my God. Um, the, and so the sons of God, sons of my God. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in holy array. This again is referring, if you read it in its context, it's referring to spiritual beings. So the Nephilim are spiritual beings. They're giants. They're called sons of God. They're spiritual beings. By the way, just so that you aren't left hanging, I'll just give you a little hint, (laughs) and you'll have to do your own work yourself. Uh, Yeshua is referred to as, as the son of God. We are referred to as sons of God. Now, Yeshua, when he's called the son of God, the people at the time identified him as a spiritual being. He was he was doing these 
these miracles and there was something about him that was very spiritual so they were identifying him with some kind of a spiritual being now when it refers to us as sons of god that's related to the hebraic sense of time we are not yet spiritual beings but we are in the process of becoming spiritual beings and at some time in the future we will be spiritual beings just like yeshua is a spiritual being we will be a, um, a spiritual being and in fact with the hebraic sense of time if you really believe it and put it into your life you can become it even though it hasn't happened yet you can you can walk in it you can become it and walk in it so so that's very interesting in our verse about the sons of god they're spiritual beings they're giants now let's take a look at that verse again because there's another uh, interesting phrase that i want to uh, uh, identify here for you because it says um, those were the mighty men all right mighty men we have to look in the interlinear bible genesis 6 4 and we will see that the hebrew is giborim the gibor giborim is plural gibor is can be used as an adjective meaning very mighty and very strong giborim are the mighty and strong ones and uh, and then what we can do is we can use the interlinear bible that shows us giborim and then we go over to the concordance and in the concordance we can see the verses that use gibor as an adjective and giborim um, as as plural this is a very very important word and this study is an important one because it uncovers and this is the whole concept of the in, in ancient way of searching the scriptures they believed that there were hidden mysteries in scripture because god was the author god is infinite therefore his word is infinite so yes there's a plain simple meaning but beneath that is the is the, is the depth of meaning and there were methods of midrash for pulling out that depth of meaning um, now, you don't have to be, you know, trained in these methods of Midrash. You just have to be like the people of the ancient world who did not have written books or texts. They learned by memorization and they heard these things. When they heard them, it it kicked off, you know, their their curiosity in their mind and they would use these things. Whereas the first usage, you know, how else is the word used in, in scripture and they would be able to uncover this depth of meaning in the same way that we're doing it here. We're using these ancient methods. That's exactly what we're doing. So these giborim, what we see in scripture, just let me give you a little kind of a foretaste here. <laughs> um, we're going to see that there there are two armies. One is the army of Satan. They're identified as giborim. They are physical giants. They are extremely strong. You remember how the twelve spies were frightened? They, they, they couldn't. They, they couldn't overcome them. So God had to spend. He spent forty years building up those who were prepared to enter the promised land, who could trust and totally believe that when God said you can overcome these giants, you can overcome these giants. And you do that by humble obedience so that, that God becomes your commander. Now God has sent his Messiah to be the commander. So so the Messiah Yeshua will be the commander in chief. Um, um, but but he of course has a uh, is, is in direct communication with God the Father. So um, so that we have one giant army of Satan and their physical giants. We God is culting another army. And these are not physical giants, but spiritual giants. They are called a remnant. 
Now, I've done teachings on the remnant. It's, it's something that I spend a great deal of time on because God has me there working on it and asking me to make it known. So you'll have to look at some of my other teachings to learn about the remnant. But for now, just know that there are two armies that are emerging. One is a giant army of Satan who are physical giants, and God is cultivating an army of spiritual giants, which is known as a remnant. There will be, by the way, a future battle between these two armies. And from what I can see in Scripture, it is going to occur after the Millennial Kingdom. At the beginning of the Millennial Kingdom, Satan is chained. And during that Millennial Kingdom, Satan is chained. I see the Millennial Kingdom as further preparation, just like the 40 years of wilderness wandering were preparation. The Millennial Kingdom is preparation for what will follow. After the Millennial Kingdom, Satan is loosed. And uh, and God comes down, and there's going to be a battle, and that will be the battle between these two between these two armies. By the way, Satan's army of physical giants is also referred to as a remnant. So there are two remnant armies, and that will occur after the millennial kingdom. Now there's more that will happen, but I have not been able to see, and I'm not sure that Scripture is allowing us to see what happens after that battle between that battle and the great white throne judgment for the same reason that if Satan had ever known, he would not crucify the Lord Jesus Christ. So there are certain things that God keeps um, permanently hidden until his time, until it's ready to come out. I think this whole concept of the remnant is God's time now for that to come out because we are... Um, God is is selecting who is worthy to be in the remnant. It has nothing to do with who's saved and who will not be saved. It has to do with with God is is preparing a remnant to to fight that battle because we need to win the battle, right? And and those who are prepared, just like those who entered the promised land, they had to be prepared to overcome the enemy, and that's a prophecy of what's going to happen in this battle after the millennial kingdom. So what we have are we have these these two giant armies. Now let's go back and um, take a look at Satan's giant army. We know that they are very strong. They're giants. We know that. And what we're doing is is we're tracking the concept of the Giborim, uh, and we're we're tracking the concept of giants. And we're going to be able to see these these giants of Satan in Scripture. The first one I draw your attention to, you'll certainly recognize, is David fighting with Goliath. Goliath was a giant. He's identified as a giant. He came from the Philistine city of Gath. And we read in 1 Samuel, a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span, and that is nine feet nine inches tall. That's tall. <laughs> That's a giant. So we have here uh, Goliath as the giant. Now, there are other giants who come from Gath, or Gat, what you would say in Hebrew. And, and, uh, and we, they're mentioned. They're mentioned in the biblical narrative. For example, you see, when, when David became king, um, that they, they were trying to kill him. Um, and and they, they, because if they could kill David, that would... Uh, destroy it would it interrupt certainly interrupt maybe destroy God's whole plan. So we read in Second uh, Samuel twenty one sixteen, Ishbi Benob, who was among the descendants of the giant, that's referring to Goliath, 
intended to kill David. So this was after David became king, and these giants are desperately trying, they're being led by Satan, to, to kill David. And, and then we have another one here, which is very interesting. There was war at Gath again, where there was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in number, and he also had been born to the giant. And this is again at the time of David. So these giants are emerging during the reign of King David uh, to try to, to kill David and to destroy God's plan. Uh, they, of course, were, were not able to do that. Now, uh, there's another interesting account of, of uh, giants. I'll, I'll pass on to you. It's, it's really kind of fun to look at it. You remember that the children of Israel had been in the, in the wilderness wandering for 40 years. Then they were ready to enter the promised land. But Moses brought them up, not directly into the land. He brought them up in what is today Jordan. It's the east side of the Dead Sea and the Jordan River in, in what is today Jordan. So he brought them up on that side. Now, they had to pass through the people who were called Moabites. And we get a very interesting uh, account of what happens as they came to the Moabites. The Moabites allowed them to pass through, by the way. And they said they pitched their tents on the plain of Moab, um, which is across the, the river from Jericho. But listen to what it tells us about... Um, the, these Moabites. Now it's talking about giants who were there before the Moabites came in and took over the land. And it says, the Emim lived there formerly, a people as great, numerous, and tall as the Anakim. Like the Anakim, they are also regarded as Rephaim. Rephaim is the Hebrew word for giant. So, and it says, but the Moabites called them Emim. So the giants, not only over in the Philistine area next to the Mediterranean Sea, but they're over here on the eastern side of the Dead Sea and the Jordan River. So they're, they're spread out over the land that is supposed to belong to Israel. And then Moses led, they, they were pitched their tents in the plain of Moab. But before entering the promised land, they went north, uh, paralleling the Jordan River on, the, on its eastern side, still in Jordan. They went north, and they fought two battles against the Amorites and the Ammonites. And they were, and because the tribe of Reuben was going to occupy that land, that you know, the, the twelve tribes occupied not only what we think of as Israel today, but they also were given land over on that eastern side of the Jordan River in what is today Jordan. And and so that enemy had to be defeated. Now listen to this account. This is really interesting because when they went up to to have a battle against the Ammonites, the king of the Ammonites was named Og. And he's identified as Og, king of Bashan. And it says, only Og, king of Bashan, was left of the remnant of the Rephaim. Now, this is really significant because you have two words that have been, one translated left, one translated remnant, that both mean a remnant. In Hebrew, there are two words that both mean a remnant. Very characteristic of Hebrew that you have two words with similar meanings so that you can play with these words. And so this Og of Bashan was left of the remnant of the Rephaim. The Rephaim, that's our word for giants. Behold, his bedstead was an iron bedstead. It is in Rabbah of the sons of Ammon. 
the ammonites. Its length was 9 cubits, and its width 4 cubits by ordinary cubit. That's 13 and a half feet long and 6 feet wide, and it's iron to hold him. So these these are the giants, and and they're they're an army of Satan, and there will be a future battle. This battle will occur after the millennial kingdom. There will be two armies. They're both these armies are both called a remnant. One is an army of Satan. The other is an army of God. We've spent this session looking at the army of Satan, which are physical giants, and I'm going to spend the next session. If um, if you join me on the next session with God's army, which is called a remnant, and they are spiritual giants. So we'll take a look at the two armies and the battle between the two armies in the next session. Shalom.